Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Where's our mic? Where is it? Here we go. She did not know that I was inviting her to the stage. Today, this is our anniversary. We were married 45 years ago today. I done good, didn't I? (laughs) Hey, uh, somebody uh, asked me a few weeks ago. They said, uh, how long have y'all been married? I said, going on 35 years. And a few days after that, maybe a week, I heard Beth talking, and somebody asked her how old our children were, and she said, 40 and 42. (laughs) Something's wrong with my figures here. And so I had to go back to that person, not 35, 45 years. And uh, I I tell you what, I praise the Lord for my beautiful wife and the wonderful uh, support she has been to me through the years. And by the way, I am so thankful for my mother-in-law, Mary Kyle. Stand up, Mama Kyle. Stand up and wave at everybody. And, And it's not hard to see where my wife gets her good looks. And so... From her mom, and I want to tell you, I've got the best mother-in-law in the world, a godly woman, and I do want to say this, and I hope there are some parents that are listening to me. My mother-in-law had a standard, an unwavering standard, that if someone wanted to date her daughter, they had to go to church with her. That just, there was no dating apart from that. And you got to understand, I could care less. I didn't care about the preacher. I didn't care about the singing. All I wanted to do is just sit back there and hold her hand. That was the only thing that mattered to me. And, uh, but what happened is in that process, God gripped my heart and he saved my soul. And I praise the Lord for that. And um, she sits quietly in the background most of the time. But today, she's going to take this mic and she's going to pray for me before I preach. And so pray for me, darling. Dear Lord, what a journey it's been these last 45 years, God. And I thank you for my husband, Lord. God, right now, I ask that you fill his mouth with those very words that you would have him to say. Lord, take away those words that are physical, are um, just carnal words, Lord. I just ask, God, that you just take those words away and help him, Lord, to say those words only from you. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God, for our calling. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our church family. And, Lord, I do pray that ears will be open and eyes will be um, the scales of our eyes will be taken off today, Lord, for those folks that do not know you as their personal Savior. Lord, as he stands behind this sacred desk, Lord, just fill him with your goodness and your wonderful news that you have for all of us. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Wow. I don't know whether to preach or give an invitation after that. And so... Uh, I, I hope you have your Bibles open to the book of James, 
And, uh, and I hope you, are you enjoying this study in James? Yeah, this, I hope you are. I hope you're just getting half as much out of it as, as I am. And uh, before we get started, I have to share something with you. And it's rare that I just share something just for the sake of sharing it, but this is one of those cases. I guess I could have worked it into my message somewhere, but we better just tell you right, right up front. And that is, I was fellowshipping with several guys in the church uh, this past week, and we were joking around. You know how guys joke around? And, and the subject of alcohol came up. And so I was, I was just joking, and I said, uh, I said, well, I don't drink in front of church members. And, and I was just trying to be funny, and, you know, and they laughed a little bit, not much. And so the uh, fact is, I don't drink at all. I don't, I don't touch it at all. I grew up in, in a family with a lot of alcohol, and, and I don't want it a part, as a part of my life as a Christian. I don't want it a part of my family. I don't drink. But anyway, one of the brothers said, well, I don't drink. And he said, the reason I don't drink is because I'm allergic to alcohol. Now, I've heard of a lot of allergic reactions, but I'd never heard of anything like this. He said, I don't drink because I'm allergic to alcohol. He said, when I drink, I break out in handcuffs. And remember now, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. He, he said, um, he followed that up by saying, I was not drinking every time they put me in jail. But every time I drank, they put me in jail. And so um, uh, you probably should stay away from it. I hope you will stay away from it this weekend too. Um, and not just this weekend. Um, we're in the book of James. And, and this is a very practical study of God's Word. The book is very practical about do's and don'ts, uh, what we should and what we should not do. And, and, and I was thinking as I was approaching this message today that had you lived back in the days when James was alive, the writer of this book, and had you gone to him for personal counseling... And had you shared with him that you were a child of God, that you were a Christian, and that you were facing some major monumental problem in your life, I fully believe this would have been the advice he would have given you. I think the first thing he would have said to you is, count it all joy. Count it all joy. God's always up to something good. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to to his purpose. I think he would say, count it all joy, even if you're going through a hard time, because when you're going through something like that, it develops patience, and patience develops maturity, and, and we get to grow in grace, and God wants you to grow up, and remember, God is with you, so count it all joy. And then I think he would probably have said next, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't know exactly what to do or say, just ask God for wisdom. God will give you wisdom. God will direct you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will help you maneuver through the maze of problems in this life. And then I think the third thing he would have said to you is boast in the Lord. Brag on the Lord. On the mountain, top, or in the valley. Whatever's going on, good or bad, whether you're rich or poor, just boast in the Lord. Brag about what God has done for you. And then I think he would have said to you, had you gone to him for counseling, stop getting all upset about everything. Stop getting all hot and bothered. Stop being so anxious and apprehensive. Stop losing your temper. 
That's not what God wants. Your wrath will not work the righteousness of God. You need to stay away from that. And then I think the next thing he would have said would be this. Start doing his word. Start doing his word. We'll read in James 1.21. We'll begin there. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, I can sum that text up in one sentence. And basically it's this. Stop sinning. Start receiving the word of God and doing what God says. Do what God says do. Obey his word. That's what this text is all about. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word of God. And what that means, friends, is, is that you and I humble ourselves down before Almighty God and we receive humbly His Word, we open our hearts to what He has to say. And we do it with a humble, submissive, genuine spirit. We don't resist the Word. We don't fight against the Word. We don't argue with God when it comes to the Word. We understand fully and completely that we are the children of God, that this Bible is His Word, and that we receive it with humility and meekness, we receive the implanted Word of God. Now, one translation says in the engrafted Word of God, which means you engraft it into your life. You make it a part of who you are. I like this statement, the implanted Word. And that's exactly what it should be. The Word of God should be implanted in the soul of our hearts and our lives. And when we receive the Word, when it is implanted within us, when we receive the Word with humility and meekness, and we're open to the Word of God, we're not resisting God's Word. When we receive it in humility, that's exactly what it becomes. It becomes the implanted Word. It takes root in our lives. It begins to grow. And then it begins to produce fruit, the fruit of salvation and fruit unto salvation. That's what the Word does. Now, this is the only part of our text this morning that could be a little bit confusing. And I'll, I'll explain why. Because so far we've made it very clear and we've talked about this that James is talking to Christians. He's talking to the people of his day that are just like us. People who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Twice already... He has referred to them as my beloved brethren. I love you. You're my brothers. But now he says to them, receive the implanted word of God that it might save your souls. Receive 
the word with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Are they saved or not? If they were saved, if they are beloved brethren, then why is he telling them to receive the implanted word so that their souls will be saved? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand what the whole New Testament teaches about salvation. And that is that salvation is three-dimensional. When you read the New Testament, you find out that sometimes it talks about salvation in past tense. Know you not that we were all saved. We were all baptized. We were all brought to the cross. Uh, You'll read scriptures. We were saved. But sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament, it says we're being saved. That he's working out our salvation and he wants us to work out our salvation and we're in the process of being saved. And then sometimes the Bible talks about on that glorious day when we shall be saved. When we will go home to be with the Lord. Well, which one is it? Is it past? Is it present? Is it, uh, is it the future? Which one is it? It's all three. Listen to me, child of God. If you are truly born again, you were saved. You were transformed. You were born again at a given time in your life. You are right now being saved. And one glorious hallelujah day, you will be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Sometimes the Bible does it with this terminology. Justification. Sanctification. Glorification. Justification is that part of your salvation where where you called out to the Lord and He came to you, He forgave you, He washed all of your sins away, you were justified, I love that word, just as if I'd never sinned, you were justified at that point, that's justification. But there's another part of salvation called sanctification and that's that ongoing, growing, maturing process where the Word of God is in us and working in us and through us and we're growing in grace. We're learning the ways of God. We're becoming what He wants us to become. One passage of Scripture says, until we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're growing in to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. More and more we're to be like Him. So sometimes it's past, sometimes it's present, and then sometimes the Bible talks about when our salvation comes. That in the end, we will be saved. That he will save us on that glorious hallelujah day. Now, in this passage of scripture, what we find out is when he says, receive with meekness the implanted word that it might save your souls because it's able to save your souls. He's talking about that ongoing process of sanctification and salvation that takes place on a daily basis basis in our lives. And he goes on very quickly to say, and this part of salvation is activated, it is ignited, it is activated, it becomes real when we actually do what God's Word says do. Every now and then, and really and truly throughout my whole ministry, I've found myself in these conversations. Uh, I'll be in a conversation with a group of people and salvation by works will be the topic. And somebody will, will quite often ask, can you work for your salvation? Can you earn your salvation? Can, can you deserve your salvation? And, 
And, and listen, I want to give you the answer right now. And I want you to listen up. No! Yes! Well, which one? Well, it depends on which salvation you're talking about. If you're talking about justification, no. If you're talking about sanctification, yes. If you're talking about that moment in your life when you realized and understood by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit that you were lost and on your way to hell and that you couldn't save yourself and no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't turn your life around and you cried out in repentance and you called on God to save you and to come to your rescue. If that's what you're talking about, then absolutely no. There's not one thing you can do to deserve that or earn that. Not one thing. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace. And on the other hand, if you're talking about that part of salvation that we call sanctification, that ongoing process of salvation that should be worked out in our lives every day of our lives, then the answer is yes. Yes, friends, we do have some responsibility. We do have an obligation. We do have marching orders in the Word. We are told to be doers of the Word. And when we become doers of the Word, then salvation begins to play out in our lives on a daily basis. And James gives just the neatest illustration here. You'll be hard-pressed to find a better illustration in the Scriptures than this one. He gives an illustration of a mirror. I don't know if you notice that in the text, but it was in, in verse 23. Let's pick up in verse 23 again. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, now he's comparing the word of God to a mirror, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He's a doer of the work. Why? Because he's looking in, not to a physical mirror, but he's looking into the Word of God, and he's seeing himself spiritually in the Word. I tried to do a little bit of background study on this, and I didn't get very far about mirrors and about how many times we look into a mirror. Because James says we're like a man who looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like, and then he has to keep going back and looking in the mirror over and over again. So I, I thought, sure, there's some studies out there about how many times people look in the mirror. And they were just all over the place. Some studies say 10 to 15 times a day people look into the mirror. Um, uh, one study said as many as 60 to 70 times a day people actually look at their reflection in a mirror. And, and one study was completely false. I know it was because it said men actually look in the mirror more often than women. <laughs> now, I know that one couldn't be true. But we, we look in the mirror. Do you know why? We keep going back and looking at the mirror over and over and over and over again. Do you know why we do that? Do you know why? Well, it might not be what you think. You see, you might be thinking the reason people go back and look in the mirror over and over is because they're infatuated with themselves. 
that they look in the mirror because they want to admire themselves, that, that they want to enjoy their own beauty, that they derive pleasure out of looking at themselves. But listen to this. Studies have shown that while that is true in some cases, and, and I don't even know where, you know, these selfies play into this, but I, I think we do have a generation that's quite infatuated with their own looks. But actually, studies have shown that's not the reason you and I look in the mirror all the time. You know why we look in the mirror? We're looking to see if something is wrong. That's the reason you look in the mirror, to see what's wrong. And then to try to fix it, or cover it up, or rearrange it. Really? I mean, that's, what, that's it, isn't it? That's what we do. We, we, we look in the mirror so that we can find out what's wrong, so that we can make it right. And I've got, I got news for you. I, I think that's a... I really think that's healthy. I don't think it's anything. I think you should look in the mirror. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought, man, you should have looked in the mirror before you left the house. <laughs> really? You would never have come out in public. You would never have come out in pub public if you just simply looked in the mirror. You... you you see, you see, friend, I read one article that said, what's the use of looking in the mirror if you don't plan on correcting what's wrong? And that makes sense. Have you, have you ever talked to somebody and the moment they smile, they had something in their teeth? That just drives you crazy, doesn't it? And then you're faced with a dilemma. The fact is you're not hearing a word they say. You're just faced with the dilemma. I, I, had a, I had a similar situation the other day. I'm not making it. I say the other day. It's been a couple of months ago now. I, uh, I saw this man, and I went to speak with him, and when I got right face-to-face -face with him, it was like, and I tried, I, tried I, I probably reacted more than I wanted to, but when I got face-to-face -face with him, I went, whoa, whoa, no way. I... I've prayed about how to explain this to you, and, and I don't think there's a good way. But he had this, he had this dangly thing. Coming out his nose. I mean, it was about halfway in, about halfway out. And I know why they call those things what they do. It's scary. It really is scary. And I'm thinking, oh, man. No, I can't look at this. And then so I tried to salvage. I'm not making this up. I tried to salvage the situation. I really did. I tried to salvage the situation. And I thought, well, I will talk to him, but I will not look at it. Have you ever tried not to look at something? That's just crazy. I, I, but so help me. This is what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to say. I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable enough in this situation. If I saw you, I would tell you. <laughs> but I didn't feel comfortable. But I, I wanted to say, go look in the mirror. The mirror will be your friend. The mirror will help you. It will save you. It will be your salvation. The mirror will motivate you to take action. Friends, 
That's exactly what James is talking about. That when you look into the perfect law of liberty, it will motivate you to take action. And that's what he's talking about, being a doer of the Word. Being a doer of the work which God tells us to be involved in. Now, you can't walk around all day long and look at a mirror. And I do highly recommend that when you get a chance, you know, take a look. Make sure everything's fine. You can't do that with a physical mirror. But guess what you can do it with? You can do it with the Word of God. Now, you don't do it by walking around with a Bible out in front of you. How do you do it? You implant the Word. You engraft the Word. You memorize the Word. You fellowship in the Word. You get saturated in the Word. You stay in a Bible study class. You stay under the preaching of God's Word. You stay in the Word until the Word stays in you. And you walk around every day, all day long, gazing into the perfect law of liberty. And as you gaze, you keep getting a reflection of your spiritual man. You see, when you look in a physical mirror, you see your physical image. When you look into the perfect law of liberty, you see your spiritual image. And friends, it will help you. It will help you. It it will help you to correct what's wrong. Better than that, it'll help you to avoid doing something that's wrong. In grafting and implanting the word and gazing into the perfect law of liberty, will keep you from mistakes. It'll keep you from failure. It'll keep you from fusses and fights that you should never be in. It'll keep you from being offended all the time. It'll keep you from saying something stupid and foolish that you should never say. And those are just the little things. The big picture is this. It'll keep you from destroying your own family. It'll keep you from divorce. It'll keep you from alienation from family members. It'll keep you from alcoholism and drug addiction. It'll keep you from immoral and ungodly behavior. It'll keep you in a state of salvation every day. Every now and then I hear somebody say, man, getting saved was so wonderful, I wish I could do it again. You can't. Now, you can't have that initial salvation, but but the salvation by sanctification every day is the hand of God is upon you, can be a daily walk. I've ministered in prisons my whole ministry off and on. On one occasion, I preached every Sunday afternoon for 18 months in a prison. And I got to know those guys real well, a lot of those guys. And I want to tell you something, and I hope you won't be as insulted by this, but there were guys in that prison that were just as saved as you and I are. And they were just as saved as you and I are before they even went to prison. They shared with me some of their experiences and they had glorious, magnificent salvation experiences where Jesus came in and transformed their lives. But nobody ever taught them the responsibility of being a doer of the Word. Nobody taught them that it's not enough just to receive the grace of God and just sit there and do nothing for the rest of your life. Nobody taught them you have to take up the Word, you have to study it, you have to read it, you have to implant it, you have to engraft it into your heart and your life. You have to make it a part of your daily walk. And because of that, some of those guys made shipwreck of their lives. They just, they just made a mess out of things. Oh, friends, 
Salvation, the part of justification is beautiful and wonderful. And we should be testifying about that all the time. But a very loud, if you please, portion of your testimony should be the salvation of sanctification on a daily basis where God is working in and through your life. Now, there's uh, verse 22. I want you to see this. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Do you see that in verse 22? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I want to ask you a, a question. Have you ever been deceived? I mean, really just straight up deception. Have you ever been deceived? I have. I don't know how many years ago it's been, but a guy in this county walked up to me and this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor, he said, I, I don't like to ask people for help, but he said, today I have to make an exception. He said, please forgive me, but I have to ask you for your help. He said, my brother passed away. And he said, I don't have any money to get there and I need to, I, I need to buy a bus ticket. I need to go, go to my brother's funeral, be with the family. Pastor, can you help me? How do you, how do you not respond to that? How do you not respond to that? I reached in my pocket, I pulled out a $100 bill and I gave it to him. And I said, be blessed, brother. Go, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And then I had a word of prayer with him. And then a couple days later, I saw a distant family member of his, and I inquired. I said, how's he doing? Have you heard from him since he left for his trip? And this family member said, he hasn't gone anywhere. I said, really? They said, no. They said, he's drunk. They said, we don't know where he got it, but somebody gave him some money. And he's been drunk for two days. Now, friends, that just stinks. That, that just makes you sick to your stomach, doesn't it? I've been deceived. But worse than that, let me share some deceptions with you. <clears throat> Kevin Cron, longtime pastor of Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church, pocketed donations from parishioners totaling about $70,000. He was found guilty last week of larceny, and he'll serve 18 months in prison. A church treasurer embezzled $850,000 by distributing funds to himself through a credit line. He had access to four officers' digital signatures. He was given eight years in prison. This was the headline just a few years ago. The founding pastor of the world's largest Pentecostal congregation has been sentenced to three years in prison for embezzling $12 million in church funds. I, I really didn't understand that. I think some of you would go to prison for three years for $12 million. But anyway, I, I mean, that's, that just didn't, didn't line up. Wall Street Journal last year said the, founding, uh, the founder of a popular evangelical church 
here was found guilty Wednesday of misappropriating $35.9 million in church funds to promote his wife's career, her singing career. Thirty-five? How do you embezzle $35 million? I'm I'm saying that to you because, listen, I felt violated. I felt cheated. When I gave this guy $100, and he just deceived me and got drunk. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were a member of a church and your spiritual leaders, people you trusted, people you looked up to, people you believed in, deceived you and took your money Money that you gave as an act of worship, tithing and offering. Can you imagine how you'd feel? I, 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 I can't, really. really. Now, I, I would believe, and I still believe this, that the people who gave that money did it as a worship, as an act of worship, and God received that, and they will still be blessed. But God have mercy on people who do such a thing as this. Now, let's raise the stakes just a little bit. If you think that's bad, can you imagine standing before the Lord on Judgment Day? And there as you stand in His holy presence, where truth is revealed, you realize for the first time that you have been totally deceived. It wasn't financial deception. That's bad. But friends, that's nothing compared to those who will stand on judgment day before the Lord and find out that they've been deceived by their spiritual leaders when it comes to truth. That they were deceived. They had spiritual leaders that lied to them. Spiritual leaders that condoned what God's Word condemns. Spiritual leaders who convinced them that something was all right when God's Word clearly condemns it. Or or maybe spiritual leaders that just conveniently left out large portions of God's Word because they didn't want to be offensive. Can you imagine standing before the Lord? The, The Lord Jesus Christ who said clearly in His Word, these are His words, I quote, see that no man deceive you. And yet here you are. You're standing in the presence of God. And someone has deceived you. Oh, I'm telling you, I've tried. I can't imagine the horror, the heartbreak, the sense of, uh, of despair that would fill that moment. Is that as bad as it gets? No. No, is there worse deception than that? Yes. According to James, there is. And that's what he talks about in this text right here. When he says, receive the implanted word that's able to save your souls. And then when he gets right down to the end, and he says in the scriptures, he says that you you have to be careful not to be deceived. And we find that all through the scripture. But then when he says that if you look into the perfect law of liberty and you see what God's word says and you're a hearer of the truth, but you're not a doer of the truth, That you do what? You deceive yourself. You see, friends, the worst kind of deception 
It's when you've heard the word. You've heard the truth. You've studied the truth. You've read the truth in your own Bible. You've, you've, uh, you've, you've been in Bible study classes. Maybe you even taught a Bible study class. You sang about the truth. You celebrated the truth. You fellowshiped around the truth. But somehow, some way, you never did it. It never became a part of your life. You heard it your whole life. But you never did it. You didn't walk in the truth. There was no deception when it comes to understanding. You knew what was right and wrong. You knew what God's Word says. But you never made it a part of your life. Truth was a concept that never became a part of your character. James says... That to be a hearer of the word and not a doer is to deceive your own self. I'm going to end with this. I love the way he ends. Notice with me in verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work This one will be blessed in what he does. I love that. This one will be blessed in what he does. Who will be blessed in what he does? The one who is a doer of the work. Listen to me, moms and dads. Listen to me, grandparents. Listen to me, young people. We can play games. We can play spiritual games for the rest of our lives. But one day, the greatest deception, I think, will be when we realize that we deceived ourselves. That we somehow thought that we could know the truth but not put it into practice in our lives and everything would be fine. But it won't be fine. But here's what God's Word says. If you and I will just come to the place where we will receive the Word, implant the Word, engraft it into our hearts and lives, gaze into it every day of our lives... And we will do what God's word says. It says this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.